You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Thank you at home for joining us this hour. This is the video that former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani called the smoking gun of the 2020 election. Mr. Giuliani claimed these Georgia election workers in Fulton County were stuffing ballots into suitcases and passing around USB ports like they were sneaking, quote, vials of heroin or cocaine. Mr. Giuliani said this illegal activity was obvious to anyone. Turned out that was all a lie. The workers in this video were putting ballots in secure lockboxes because they were wrapping up for the night and needed to keep them secure until the next day. What Giuliani told his legions of followers were USB ports filled with nefarious information. That was actually election workers passing out mints, ginger mints. And as wild as Giuliani's claims were, These were real people, and so his lies had a profound impact on their lives. Here, Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Shea Moss, two of the people Giuliani publicly named, telling the January 6th committee how Giuliani's words changed their lives. A lot of threats, um, wishing death upon me, um, telling me that, you know, I'll be in jail with my mother and saying things like, Be glad it's 2020 and not 1920. I get nervous when I have to give my name for food orders. I'm always concerned of who's around me. I've lost my name and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security. Giuliani told these lies about Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss in December of 2020. They sued Giuliani for defamation in 2021, and he has been trying to avoid accountability since then. He has tried to get the case dismissed. But today, Mr. Giuliani was spotted at the U.S. District Court in Washington, D.C. for a hearing in this case. So the wheels of justice in this country turn slowly, but they do turn and you cannot outrun them forever. Now, we don't know when that case will wrap up or if and when Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss may see justice. But in addition to the civil case, Giuliani has also been informed that he is a target of Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis and her criminal investigation. And today brought big news in that investigation. News which suggests, loudly suggests, that legal jeopardy, not just for Giuliani, but also for his old boss, former President Trump, That may be on the horizon. Last month, D.A. Willis told local law enforcement to be ready for heightened security this summer. She told them she would announce possible criminal indictments between July 11th and September 1st. Indictments she thought might provoke such significant public reaction that the indictments could be a threat to the court's safety and that of her legal team. Well, today, that timeline got even tighter. The New York Times was the first to report that Fonnie Willis has told most of her staff to plan to work remotely from the last week of July through the first three weeks of August. 
Most of the judges in the downtown Atlanta courthouse will apparently be away during the first week of August for a judicial conference. But Willis is asking those judges not to schedule any trials during the two weeks after that conference, the week starting on Monday, August 7th and Monday, August 14th. And why could that be? Office staff, stay home. Judges, stay home. Law enforcement, get ready. In other words, Fannie Willis is planning to announce something so big between the end of July and the first three weeks of August that it poses a significant security threat to a significant number of people. Willis's office has been investigating Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election in Georgia for more than two years now. And two days ago, we learned that yet another one of Trump's lawyers may be a target in that investigation. That followed reports that at least nine of Trump's 16 fake electors from Georgia have been granted immunity in the investigation, and they are cooperating with prosecutors. The rest of those fake electors, including the chairman of the Republican Party of Georgia, they presumably remain targets of the investigation. So Fonnie Willis appears to be casting a very wide net here, looking at not only the big fish, but all the little fish who could potentially flip and testify against others. But would indicting any of those targets, even America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, would that cause such a massive public backlash that you literally have to clear the streets and the courts for it? All of the signs here point to the architect of the big lie being held to account at some point between the end of July and the first three weeks of August. Mark your calendars. Joining us now, our former U.S. attorney for the Middle District of Georgia, Michael Moore, and Katie Fang, host of the eponymous Katie Fang Show, right here on MSNBC. Katie, let me start with you. Sure. It's a delight to see you in person. Same here. Uh, nobody is misreading this, right? This, this, the, all, the arrows, it's a neon sign rather than an arrow, points to a Donald Trump indictment at the, between the end of July and the first three weeks of August. Is Remember that right? the forewoman from the special grand jury. Yes. What did she say? It's not rocket science. So well, if it's not rocket science, then you're not going to be shocked is what she says. I guess we're not going to be shocked. I mean, I, I, the forewoman aside, and I think you had, there was a lot of psychology going on with that forewoman. Sure. This is a very big fish in the sea of fishes in and around um, the attempts to undermine the results of the 2020 election. Donald Trump is a big deal if that is, in fact, what is happening. Um, do you how from the sort of breadcrumbs that we have gotten in recent weeks from the fake electors who are now have immunity deals with prosecutors and are cooperating, the lawyers that have been implicated, just the 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 movement and momentum that we are seeing what is your expectation here and how how potentially damning is it that you have these cooperating witnesses? So it's reading tea leaves, as you said. Yeah. But I do think that reasonable prosecutors would say that in light of the background of Fannie Willis being an expert in RICO and racketeering prosecutions, and because we've seen a wide net cast, a lot of people forget this has been going on for two years. Yeah. The investigation has had two years to be able to grow. It is only lately that you've seen an escalation and yet a pullback. The pullback being the immunity deals that were offered with eight of the 16 fake electors that participated in that December 2020 meeting wherein they refused to certify the Biden, um, you know, win. I think you see the possibility that, I mean, if we're going to temper expectations, which we should do when we're lawyers, it, it should be Donald Trump, right? But it could also mean Mark Meadows, mm -hmm. who was on that famous phone call to Brad Raffensperger, give me the 11, find me 11,780 votes. I mean, it could go as high as 
Mark Meadows, right? But the reality is, if you have a puppeteer, if you have somebody who set it all in motion, like any good racketeering prosecution, yeah. it's going to be the highest guy on the totem pole, and that's Donald Trump. The immunity deals in and of the, in and of themselves are kind of big flags for us to be looking at, and yet they're just part of the process. They're just a part of how you tee up an investigation and a prosecution. But knowing her background, her being Fonnie Willis, knowing that we're asking for the security, it's kind of a foregone conclusion, mm-hmm. in my opinion. You're going to see Donald Trump on that indictment. Michael, you're a creature of uh, Georgia. The requests that are being made from the DA's office in terms of the courts clearing their schedules, the remote work for uh, the prosecutors in her office, the security concerns in this very specific window of time. Have you any? Have you ever seen anything like this um, in your time as an attorney? I have not. I'm I'm glad to be with you both. Um, I I do think this is just odd. Uh, It's just a little weird to do this. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, you talk about hooking the big fish. I mean, most of the time, if you go hook the big fish, you don't shout about it on top of the water with a megaphone. And so that seems to be sort of what she's doing here. A lot of these arrangements could have been handled privately and quietly. I mean, you know, the district attorney's office itself is not very far from the chief judge's office. And you can walk down there and sit down and say, this is what's fixing to happen. Can you call the judges together and, you know, let them know what's going on? Or this, we're going to be appearing before the grand jury. You can talk to the head of security. You can talk to the police chief. You don't have to do all this by way of some kind of public announcement. So it, it is strange. And it tells me basically that um, she's conscious of the fact that she needs to produce after two years of investigation. And, and I think that she's producing. Uh, in the public eye so they can see that she's doing that, uh, that she hadn't wasted time and, and, and money on it. And I think you're going to see Trump indicted. I don't think there's any possible way that she's going to now get around that after all this sort of unnecessary fanfare. I mean, uh, th- there's some value to a prosecutor in sort of coming in under the cloak of darkness and, and you know, nabbing your man, so to speak, um, and, you know, running in with an indictment that was kept very quiet, uh, but was returned by a grand, a grand jury and announcing it and in public the next day. I mean, there, there's a lot of value to that. So it sounds like she's looking at a big RICO case. It sounds like she's been weaving this net, you know, to try to circle up all the fish uh, in the pond. Um, again, sometimes the bigger the net you weave, the more likely you are to tangle yourself up in it. So uh, there's some there's some pros and cons to doing it that way. But yeah. we wouldn't be surprised if you've done it. Uh, Michael, that's a really good point. I mean, just the style of um, the windup, if you will, to use a baseball metaphor, is radically different than, uh, Katie, yeah. what, we've, what we've seen from Jack Smith, right? Yeah, and, and Michael makes an exceptional point here. There is a pending motion that has been filed by Donald Trump yes. that has not been ruled on yet. And I actually have the state's response that was just filed on May 15th. And what Trump is saying, and another one of those fake electors is saying, is, look, this is so unusual. This entire special grand jury looks like it's already biased and tainted. And this whole process seems to already be skewed. And then to Michael's point, the more unusual it is, that feeds into the narrative of Donald Trump that this is just a witch hunt. This is just the politicization of a law enforcement arm. And so if you're going to have this much of a preview of what that movie is, it better be a blockbuster. And to Michael's point, it hopefully is a blockbuster because everyone should be held accountable. We've heard Fonnie Willis say no one is above the law. We've heard many prosecutors and DA say that. And if it's true, then Donald Trump should also be on an indictment. Uh, Michael, to to Katie's point about Trump's uh, legal team and their defense to try and get this whole thing thrown out, Willis's office has been really clear. 
basically it's their defense. Their explanation has effectively been you've had two years to try and raise your hand and stop this. You can't do it right now on the eve of a potential indictment. Do you think there is any concern that in, in terms of his argument holding water with a judge? Well, yeah, no, I mean, I really don't think there's much chance that it's going to be thrown out. I mean, I'll tell you at this point, and I mean, one of the main reasons is it's not even a right motion yet. We don't have an indictment. Nobody's been charged. I mean, there's just been some recommendation by a special purpose grand jury, and it's about as binding as a grocery list on a sticky note. It just has no effect other than the fact that they heard all this and allowed her to get some testimony under oath. So I, I, don't, I just don't see the motion being granted. The problem will come. And, you know, Katie talks about it. It's, it's it's another oddity in this case. And it's going to be stacked with all these other odd things that are going to go forward and are likely going to be heard by a federal judge at some point. And I'm sure there's going to be a motion perhaps to move it to the federal court. I mean, you're going to have all we're just getting started. I mean, this, I've said before, this is kind of like the, the, the starting line of the race. I mean, and that's that's part of what makes all this fanfare so odd. I mean, you don't get points for putting on the uniform. You get points for how you play the game. And we're just putting on the uniform right now. There's there's just no reason to be sort of buckling down and making this look like, you know, this is a done deal. I, I, I recognize that it would be um, because we saw it in New York. We've seen it certainly at January 6th. I mean, you've got folks who are going to act out on their emotion. I mean, there's no question about that. But but this is a little bit like a siren song to them saying, you know, come come to Atlanta, you know, in August. Uh, you just don't do that. And so I, I I think it'll be an oddity there. The motion I'm not worried about. I think that, you know, that he may have some good points that could be heard at a later time. But as far as Judge McBurney doing anything with the motion or another judge dealing with the motion right now, uh, as to the sitting uh, special purpose grand jury, literally she could take that report put it away in her file cabinet, never look at it, say, Judge, we're not going to rely on that report. We're just going to present evidence off right. the tape, what these cooperating witnesses have said. Or I mean, it, it just doesn't matter. But they needed to, and I think Trump's team was just trying to take control of the ball for a little while, to call some bluffs out, to let other people know this was going to be a battle. Maybe they were sending a message to potential cooperators that there were going to be things that you know were going to happen on the Trump side. Um, but I don't, think it's, I don't think you're going to see the case stopped uh, because of that motion. Well, you're also never going to get people to Atlanta in August unless you tell them something big right. is going down. But that's another I thing. just want to say something really, really quickly because yeah, I know yeah. we have to wrap. Um, I think the reason why you're seeing this warning about the security is because this is going to be the first indictment of Donald Trump that involves the election. Mm -hmm. We saw what happened on January 6th. The D.A. Alvin Bragg indictment that he's already been facing right now, that was the hush money payments, right? That is not something I think that has this much of a nexus to what happened at the insurrection on January 6th. And that is the reason why you're seeing the security precautions. That is definitely a time and a place where you would see radicalized people show up to be able to cause violence and to wreak havoc. And that is the reason why you're seeing the security precautions. Well, I mean, I think it's probably an open question to Michael's point, whether or not telling people that something big is coming down the pike actually is an incentive to bring more people right. down to Atlanta in August. But, but Trump's going to do it himself, though, well, right? There is also, He'll do it himself. It's like, yes, it's, like there's, a, it's like putting a pecan pie on the table and say, don't eat this. You know, I, mean, I, I just don't understand that. I mean, I, you're not you don't call them out ahead of time and say, and say this is what's coming. But we don't want you to know about it. And we don't want you to be here. This, I, this should have been, should have been done very quiet. Some swagger. Uh, That's some swagger. Yeah. I there. mean, also, that pecan pie metaphor is not lost on me <laughs> at all. Michael Moore. We didn't get a Brunswick stew mention in. Oh, there we just did. But we got a pecan pie yeah. mention in there. Uh, partner at the Moore Hall Law Firm in Atlanta. Always great to hear from you. Katie Fang, a 
blessing to have you on set. Thanks Thank for coming you. up to New York. Thanks. And a reminder that you can catch The Eponymous. I'm always going to say that. Katie Fang Show, 8 a.m. Eastern on Saturdays and Sundays right here on MSNBC. Coming up, students graduate from the college that is in the middle of a hostile takeover by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and they graduate their way. Plus, the on-again, off-again relationship between Chris Christie and Donald Trump. They finally have something in common again. Guess what it is? That's next. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. When Donald Trump first ran for the Republican nomination in 2016, he took a lot of what you might call incoming from his Republican rivals, like former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. I just don't think he's suited to be president of the United States. Why? Um, I don't think his temperament is suited for that, and I don't think his experiences. He sits in his jammies in Trump Tower and phones in. It's just not worthy of someone running for president of the United States. Showtime is over, everybody. We are not electing an entertainer-in-chief. Chris Christie was, by all accounts, a Trump critic during that primary, which it was, which is why it was so utterly humiliating for Chris Christie when he dropped out of the race and became the first major Republican presidential candidate to endorse Donald Trump. You might remember this meme of Christie looking distressed, standing behind Trump on the campaign trail. Trump returned the favor by mocking Christie about his weight. Reporting at the time suggested that Christie was eyeing a chance to be Trump's VP or to get a top position in the Trump White House. And neither one of those things happened. Instead, Trump humiliated Christie once again when Trump made Christie the head of his presidential transition team, only to fire Christie three days after Election Day. Christie spent the rest of the Trump administration as a TV pundit, where he waffled between his two identities as a Trump critic and a Trump ally. When Christie was trying to sell a tell-all during Trump's disastrous government shutdown, Christie went on late-night shows and said things like this. Where do you think the wheels came off during the shutdown? Uh, The president blew it. When? When he shut the government down with no plan. In politics, we call that getting rolled. Do you regret at all helping this man get elected? And I'll join you. I'll join you on this one. Now, uh, yeah, good question. Here we go. Okay. What'd you say? Clever. 
And then by 2020, Mr. Christie was back on the Trump train. He even helped Trump prepare for his debates against Joe Biden, a decision that nearly cost Christie his life after Christie contracted COVID, likely from Trump, during debate prep and then had to be hospitalized in the ICU for a week because that is what friends are for. Wait a minute. And now, for the past several months, Chris Christie has returned to the role of Trump critic. He has called Trump a puppet of Vladimir Putin and criticized Trump's behavior toward E. Jean Carroll. But his reasons for doing this, well, they may be more professional than personal. Last night, a local news outlet in New Hampshire reports that Chris Christie is preparing to announce yet another presidential campaign. Joining us now to help understand why this is happening is Mike Murphy, Republican strategist and former senior strategist for John McCain's 2000 presidential campaign. Mike, thank you for being here. What is what is Chris Christie doing? Oh, he's he's lighting a stick of dynamite and running right at Donald Trump. This is going to be entertaining. He will be the popcorn candidate. Uh, He will be. Look, he. Last time in 2016, he focused on New Hampshire. He came in sixth. Voters don't necessarily dig the guy, but catalytically, to affect the process, he can be very powerful. I was joking on Twitter, the first debate will be in August, and if Trump shows up and Christie is there, I will send the moderator one of those guard dog training gloves, because it'll <laughs> Christie will just go for Trump's throat, and he's the one guy who can kind of you know, his bombast is Trump level. So it's kind of a fair fight. The other candidates may not love the distraction, but it'll be a problem for the Donald. Well, I, I guess I wonder, because Christie said pretty publicly and vehemently, he is not here to be a stick of dynamite. This is a quote from Politico. I'm not a paid assassin. When you're waking up for your 45th morning at the Hilton Garden Inn in Manchester in New Hampshire, you'd better think you can win because that walk from the bed to the shower, if you don't think you can win, it's hard. I mean, I, I, see, he's saying this earnestly, apparently, and yet the Washington Post reports no. that 70% of likely Republican voters will not consider supporting Chris Christie uh, if he actually runs. Well, look, uh, I agree. He's not a paid assassin. He'll do it for free and for fun. <laughs> Um, you know, he's, this is, this is, their secret service ca- uh, code names ought to be Ralph and Ethel. They, he, they both love to fight Trump and Christie. And Christie's been for Trump, against Trump, against him again, then back for him, then against him. Uh, what I think is really going on beyond the assassination part is all these challengers to Trump smell vulnerability. Now, you couldn't even talk about running against Trump two years ago. But now there's such a feeling in the party among a majority of Republican primary voters and the polling back set up not to go out and be anti-Trump so much as move beyond him. He's a loser. He's going to lose to Biden. He's crazy. So you got you got DeSantis saying, hey, I'm younger. I have all Trump's enemies. I'm tougher. I can beat Biden. I'm kind of Trump light, you know, less risk, less calories. That's one campaign. Tim Scott is the I'm more of a Reagan-esque non-grievance candidate, move beyond Trump. Uh, he, he's got something to sell. And then Christie will be the one who thinks these other guys are so intimidated by Trump. I can actually go to the, the, the electorate in, in the early states and say, look, I'll tell you the way it is. This guy's a stone cold loser. You all know it in your heart. I'm a fighter. Let me go get Biden. And, you know, maybe he'll sell some tickets this time with that. You know, Mike, I, I get that um, the, the, the general thesis here is Trump is weak. 
we can be alternatives. But there's this very awkward dance they have to do between suggesting themselves as better versions of Trump while not actually criticizing him. And that, to me, seems almost an impossible line to toe, right? I mean, after Trump's CNN town hall, which surely alienated a number of at least independent voters, if not anybody in the debate hall. Um, the Ron DeSantis super PAC sent out a tweet that was critical of Trump's performance. And then in the hours after, immediately felt like it had to walk that back. And I don't know how you get through a primary with multiple candidates without actually taking the gloves off and pull it and, and throwing a punch at Trump. I mean, do you think that the Republicans can really feasibly execute on the strategy of treating Trump with kid gloves, but proposing that he's weak? Well, I think it's a little different than that. And I agree on DeSantis. They, they, they pulled a punch they didn't need to pull. It's not that you go out and say to the Republican loyalists that Trump is bad. Because while the loyalists are tired of Trump and want to move on, they think Trump has the right enemies. So the punches have to be pretty gentle, but you don't kowtow to him either. Because if he's too weak to beat Biden, you got to prove you're tough enough to handle him. Christie will have no problem doing that. He'll probably have overkill, but that will weaken Trump. The question is, will DeSantis find the right way to say the goal is more important than running a losing candidate and take medium shots at Trump? I think that'll work. The move beyond Trump argument. You know, it's interesting. The best candidate politician in Republican politics who has handled Trump the most successfully is Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, who's very popular in a key state. He's pretty much closed the door to running, but he's left it open a crack. I, I think he could teach the other guys a master class on how to do it. But if he doesn't run, it'll be Christie probably doing overkill, which might give them benefits. And we'll see if they can learn to do it and not look like a bunk, bunch of wimps. Because if they make Trump tiger man during the primaries, uh, their whole argument, is, as you indicated, is undercut about he's too weak to handle Biden. Yeah, so well, they got to show some teeth. In that way, Christie may prove a useful foil in establishing the upper limit yes. of the amount of uh, criticism that the audience will tolerate and give DeSantis and Scott a middle ground to stake out their own claims, whatever those are. Mike Murphy. Right, right. Always. He's kind of the. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, quickly. He's the George Lakoff candidate. Don't think of an elephant. You think of an elephant. Trump can put the bad ideas in there, make it easier for, not Trump, excuse me, Christie, make it easier for the other guys, because Christie will say anything. Oh, there you go. And there's a Republican field. Mike Murphy, it's always great to hear from you, my friend. Thanks for your time tonight. Thank you. When we come back, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis initiated a hostile takeover of New College. And today, his hand-picked board of trustees added insult to injury with predictable results. We'll have more on that coming up next. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, 
create custom chores and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. I personally think it's important to have an alternative commencement uh, on our terms for the values that we believe in and to celebrate the new college that we knew. This is our school and our graduation should be on our terms and we're all free thinkers here and we want to be able to you know, show up in funny outfits and express ourselves and feel comfortable and safe. And I think that um, having our own kind of space to do it on our own terms where we are the focus and not um, a political spectacle is really important. Our college has kind of just been taken over so this is kind of the first step in reclaiming something that's supposed to be a day of celebration for us seniors. Last night, the 2023 class of New College in Florida held an alternative commencement. There were rainbow capes and there were mermaid tails and flowers and crowns and shiny boots and gold spandex. Now, the official New College commencement ceremony, that was scheduled for today, tonight, actually. But like so many other official parts of New College these days, it had nothing to do with what the students wanted or what the school has actually been about. That is because since the start of this year, Governor Ron DeSantis has been focused on changing the very essence of this school, refashioning it from a progressive liberal arts college to a conservative Christian institution by gutting its board of trustees, changing its academic offerings, denying tenure to certain professors and putting a DeSantis spin on the graduation ceremony itself which meant that tonight for the official commencement at New College, the one organized by DeSantis allies, the keynote speaker was Dr. Scott Atlas. Dr. Atlas is the radiologist who was tapped to be part of Donald Trump's COVID response team in 2020, despite the fact that he had no public health or infectious disease experience. His specialty is medical imaging. Regardless, Dr. Atlas is the one who proposed herd immunity as a national strategy to fight the pandemic. He also advocated against the use of masks in public spaces, and he was the subject of an open letter from a group of doctors where he used to teach who criticized him for falsehoods and misrepresentations of science. So that was the keynote speaker picked for the official new college graduation ceremonies tonight, the inspirational voice to send off the graduating class of 2023. I was asked to help our country during the biggest healthcare crisis in the century. After a day of meetings in the White House, I was asked by Jared Kushner to help advise the president. And I replied, well, okay, but this is what you're going to get. I will never agree with something just because somebody else tells me to, no matter who that is. You can hear the audience booing quite audibly. And the chanting and the interruptions went on for quite some time. Students also organized a plane to fly over campus with a light-up message on its wings reading, Save New College. Now, it is not clear whether it will be possible to save New College from Governor DeSantis and his allies. He has got all the money and the power that you can have in that state. But the students at the school are not going quietly into the night. For their commencement ceremony, the one that was not filled with booing from the audience, the students picked their own keynote speaker the civil rights activist, Maya Wiley, who told New College to keep up the good fight because their fight is the fight for the country. Your strength, 
has not only mattered to you finding your full selves and your full voices and protecting it. Because what you have done is stood up and said, I'm going to speak. You are not just standing for yourselves. You're standing for all of us. Maya Wiley joins us to discuss what happened down there and what's happening in Florida right after the break. Stay tuned. You have had to be strong in the face of a few who would tell you that you can't read what you want to read, that you can't speak what you want to speak, that you should get in line with an ideology that is not yours and call that, call that freedom. That was civil rights activist Maya Wiley last night addressing the graduating class of New College in Florida as the keynote speaker for the alternative commencement ceremony that students put together to protest Governor Ron DeSantis's hostile takeover of their school. New College has become sort of emblematic of the governor's war on woke, which extends to the college curriculum, its teaching staff, its board of trustees, and even its official commencement speaker this year, Trump COVID advisor Dr. Scott Atlas. Joining us now is Maya Wiley. She's an attorney, a college professor, and the president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. Maya, it is great to see you. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's so good to be with you, Alex. Uh, You're doing amazing coverage. Well, you're doing amazing things, too. I just, what is it like down at New College right now as the walls have started closing in, the governor's hostile takeover is in effect, and the students are trying every lever they can to push back? Well, I think that's, it's that last point. What I felt so clearly down there in the conversations I was having with the students, with the faculty, with the staff, with the parents, it's all the same thing. Anger. Yeah. Fear. Right. A recognition that there are costs and powerful people who can exact those costs because they want to stand up for their school. But there is such a determination of protecting what they love. And what they love is this this amazing college where the faculty, the staff, uh, the whole principle of the school is to create a community that enables students to inquire, to ask questions, to find themselves in the most important and central ways to what college, what higher education is supposed to be, and to create a community. Because they are a community. They support each other. And that was so palpable. And it was so clear to me that they were not giving up. The students were telling me they're joining their alumni associations. The alumni are actively involved in protecting what they love about this college. And it was inspiring. Yeah. I I, I just have to take a moment to sort of try and wrap my arms around uh, the the ridiculousness of the of the the two ceremonies um, not that yours was ridiculous but here you are the two the students chosen representative to send them off in their graduation and somehow dr. Scott Atlas Trump's covid denying chief scientist during the pandemic 
is the representative that is handpicked by the DeSantis allies to speak to the, the students. I mean, how do you have any sense of how and why this individual was chosen? Was it literally just to own the libs at the school, like pick the most vehemently, you know, oppositional figure we can and throw them in there for graduation? I mean, what, what exactly was that? And what was the feeling of the students that this was being thrown, forced down? Well, I mean, I think for the, the I can only say how what the students I spoke with, what they thought of it. And they thought it was a slap in the face. And an, and yet another example of an attempt to indoctrinate them. Right. That that if this was actually about them, if this was actually about their academic careers, what they'd done, what they were going to go off into and do in the world, all the things we expect from a graduation ceremony. Yeah. Uh, instead, it was a political statement. Uh, and I think that's the way they received it. And it was one that was not even based in science yeah. for them. Right. And so it was a slap in the face and they weren't having it. What um, the reason I mean, the reason I think both you and I are so animated by what's happening down in New College is because it is, yes, a gripping, wrenching story of people fighting against an oppressive regime that's trying to take over and stifle their voices and thinking. It is also representative of this broader battle that we're having in the United States. Ron DeSantis is likely to announce he is running for president next week. He has publicly said that Florida should be a model for the rest of the country. I believe it is make America Florida again. Uh, for people who know what this man has done and is doing and what his proposals are and everything from immigration to LGBTQ rights to race, I mean, how distressing is this to you? And is there one part of his agenda that is more poisonous in your mind than others? Well, let's just say I quoted George Orwell in 1984 as part of my address because we also had a federal judge call the laws that are being passed the Stop Woke Act, the attack on being able to teach our history right in our schools, our history of racism and discrimination, uh, quoted Orwell. Uh, It is dystopian. Mm -hmm. But this is the point. Other states are copying it. Yeah. And they're saying you can't say gay in schools. You can't all the winds, you know, Florida's going all the way through 12th grade. A lot of the students at New College are LGBTQ um, and and have found their voice and found themselves and their path there. So to be in a state that's saying you can't do that, you can't allow e- even in some instances the book bannings uh, of material that include LGBTQ, that include protagonists or major characters are black. That's almost 80 percent of all books that have been banned across the United States in the past few years are LGBTQ or people of color content. It is literally, literally being inscribed in law now, 18 states saying you can't teach critical race theory, which is just another way of saying we can stop you from sharing the truth about a painful history and its implications for today to students who are supposed to be learning American history, that this is actually about controlling how people think and what they think, what they read, and whether or not they are getting to understand the experiences of other people. This is central to a plural democracy, and it is being taken away by law. Uh, Twelve states are now following Florida on don't say gay. This is centrally important to understand as a threat to democracy is academic freedom and controlling our young people. Yeah. I mean, in some ways he is making America, Florida. All right, Maya, please stay with me if you can. Um, We are going to get your thoughts on what is happening 
to American conservatism and whether indeed cruelty is exactly the point of all of it. Stick with me. Everyone else, hang around. Stay tuned. That's coming up. He's been choked much of his life. The agencies that failed to keep him and give him mental health choked Jordan. Those that let him go, even though they had his record of needing help, they choked Jordan. The city agencies choked Jordan. He'd been choked most of his adult life. He's an example of how you're choking the homeless, how you're choking the mentally ill, how you're choking all over this city. We keep criminalizing people with mental illness. People keep criminalizing people that need help. They don't need abuse. They need help. That was Reverend Al Sharpton delivering a eulogy for Jordan Neely, the New Yorker who was killed on a subway earlier this month after shouting to passengers that he was hungry and thirsty. Reverend Sharpton focused on the treatment of the homeless and the struggling, especially by conservative leaders who are now celebrating the man who put Neely in that fatal chokehold. We are back with Maya Wiley, president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. Maya, this story is so wrenching to me as a New Yorker, as a human being. And I, I, so, I found Rev's eulogy so gripping because that metaphor that we are choking him as a city, as a people, as a government— um, where does the root of this problem lie? Is it in our inability to see each other as human beings? It is, a, is it a system that dehumanizes people? Where does it begin? No, I think it's all of the above is the sad part. I mean, we know, look, Tipper Gore was trying to get the nation to pay attention to mental illness yeah. <laughs> decades ago, right? We have, we have consistently avoided it. But what we also have done is consistently um, fail to see that we can save people. If we actually pay attention to their needs, we have the money. We're the richest nation in the country. We have the ability to have the policies that say we can make sure housing is affordable so you don't become homeless. We can make sure you get a good education. We can make sure you have enough food to eat. We can. We actually it's not an intractable problem. The problem has been that we blame people for their conditions, even if they didn't create them for themselves. We assume it's their fault. And if you are black. If you are an immigrant of color, if you are someone who is easily not understood, if you are a woman, if you are a woman, (laughs) then it becomes easier to dehumanize you. This is the link between the conversation we were having about the attack on New College and the conversation we're having on Jordan Neely, is that if we refuse to be a society where we get to know and understand the conditions that are creating the problems we have to solve, we will just say we will be blind to the problem and refuse to solve it. And then when we see the human the human suffering that it has created, we will blame those humans. That's what happened to Jordan Neely. That's what happens to too many people in this country. Well, and the and the sort of the the gilding of that lily, if that poisoned lily, if you will, is the hero the 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 hero worship of Daniel Penny, the man who put Jordan Neely in a chokehold and and killed him in that chokehold. I mean, the fact that the right wing has embraced the person who killed him tells you something, an even darker 
story about American mm-hmm. society. I feel like it's worse than just not seeing Jordan Neely. It's honoring the person who extinguished his life. Well, this is we have a mass shooting in a school, so we say we should have more guns in the school. We see someone uh, at a protest who takes an AR-15 and then shoots and kills a protester. That person gets celebrated. Yeah. Kyle Rittenhouse. So we see a black homeless person who is scary mm-hmm. because they're that person's hungry, hungry and thirsty. thirsty. And it's okay to be violent in the face of what we don't want to face. It's okay to be violent if we don't like feeling uncomfortable or fearful. And it's okay to dehumanize the person who's in need of help or who's simply trying to protect themselves. That is what we can stop from becoming if we listen to the students at New College. And, and let them read the books that they want to read and, be, and learn help, the lessons that they need to learn. everyone else get the same exactly. opportunity. Empathy, knowledge, truth. Maya Wiley, thank you for being here tonight. It is always such an honor to hear from you and to see you in person. That is our show for tonight. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, Kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.